remain standing as I pray. Father, we, your people need to hear from you. Uh, we don't need to hear a cute, piffy talk. We don't need to hear the words of a man. We need to hear the words from on high. Lord, so let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we pray that the word of God fall on good soil. Father, I pray that you hide me behind the cross and allow me to point to the empty tomb. We pray this in Jesus' victorious, matchless, holy, and righteous name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, my, my main text will be found in uh, Romans uh, 8, so I'm going to walk a few verses down. I'm not going to read them because I'm going to just kind of walk it out. Um, my name is Tyler St. Clair. I pastor a church plant in the beautiful city of Detroit, Michigan, and you may not know this, but because of your partnership, your faithfulness, uh, you have a major part to play in us continuing to advance the gospel. So I'm extremely thankful. Give yourselves a round of applause. Give yourself a hand. Uh, I remember meeting, I remember meeting JJ. Man, was it? It was like almost eight years ago. We are aging like uh, Wonder Bread. But I remember meeting JJ many years ago. He was right, right before he took over the role as lead pastor here, and I was right in the process of planting Cornerstone. I'm just, just in awe of all of what the Lord is doing. So uh, thank you for your, uh, your faithfulness to pray for us. Thank you for sending volunteers. Thank you just for continuing to love and care for us in the beautiful city of Detroit, Michigan. So uh, the title of my message for today is Prayer's Secret Weapon. Prayer's Secret Weapon. Am I good? You know the volume's gonna get a little bit louder, so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> um, I start off kind of slow and then it just kind of escalates from there. My, my main text will be in Romans chapter eight. Um, so Paul did not plant the church in Rome, but he had heard about what was stirring. Uh, um, evidently, the church was started by some believers who heard the gospel preached at the day of Pentecost, see Acts chapter two, and they took the gospel back home to Rome and, and, and church, uh, churches sprouted up all across the city of Rome. Although there were many barriers between Paul and the people in the, uh, the Roman church, he felt a strong bond. He felt a strong connection to these believers. He loved and cared for them deeply. So he sent them this letter to introduce himself and, and to instruct them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 is uh, referred to by many as one of the greatest chapters in the entire Bible. And, and the, the portion I want to focus on is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. As a believer, Paul describes how, how, how we are not left alone. We, we are not left to our own devices, Jesus put it this way. I'm not leaving you as an orphan. I'm going to send the spirit of truth. I'm going to send the counselor. My main idea here is what I want you to take away. The spirit comes along to aid us in doing what we cannot do in our own strength. We receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians 1 says we receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as, as the first share of our inheritance. We, we receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has come to aid us in doing what we could not do 
in our own strength. The Spirit enables us to resist temptation. The Spirit enables us to put sin to death. The, the Spirit enables us to pray to God. The, the Spirit reminds us that we are God's children. The Spirit helps us submit to the will of God. These are all things we cannot do in our own strength. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also... I'm reading from a different translation. I'm reading from the, the CSB, the Cornerstone Standard Bible. Um, in the same way, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he also searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. He begins, verse 26, with this phrase, in the same way. What is Paul referring to? So listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Dr. Jeffrey Smith explains it this way. Paul is saying, just as the Spirit is at work within our hearts to confirm our adoption, verse 16, in the same way the Spirit works within our hearts to bear our weakness. According to Paul, we bring two things to prayer. When it comes to prayer, we, we bring two things to God. We bring our weakness and we bring our actual prayers. Now, what does it mean that we're weak? What does it mean that we have weakness? This side of glory, believers will experience weakness spiritually, emotionally, and physically. Spiritually, because we continue to fall. We continue to stumble in sin daily. Emotionally, because we will always struggle with grief, sadness, loneliness, depression, hopelessness, fear, and anger and physical weakness because our bodies get sick they break down they expire and eventually go to the grave but notice this Paul does not say uh, notice what he does not say Paul does not say that the Holy Spirit removes our weakness he, he does not say the Holy Spirit comes and removes all of our weakness. Don't miss that. Uh, that's important. Uh, he does not say he removes or reduces our weakness, but rather the Spirit assists in our weakness. The Spirit comes in the midst of our weakness. In his second letter to the Corinthian church, Paul explains how the Lord entered into his weakness and showed his great power. Paul had this thorn in the flesh. I don't know what it was. I'm, I'm not that old. I wasn't there. Uh, but he had some kind of thorn in his flesh. Some say it was blindness. Some say it was a, a, some type of other physical ailment. But he prayed to God three times for God to remove this. This is right after Paul saying that he, he was so close to God that he uh, was caught up and he heard things that no one ever else has heard. Paul had a pretty close relationship with the Lord Jesus. He prayed three times that, that this thorn be removed. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8. Concerning this, I pled with the Lord three times that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected 
in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weakness so that Christ's power may reside in me. I take pleasure in weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and in difficulties for the sake of, uh, for, for, um, for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the most un-American approach. <laughs> Americans, we're strong. We're independent. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But notice this. Paul is saying, I embraced my weakness. When, when, when we embrace our weakness, when we embrace our limitation, that is actually a grace from God. Paul, we can, like, like Paul, we can experience God's limitless power when we embrace our limitations, when we embrace our weakness. When we are weak, we allow the Lord to be strong on our behalf. Paul states that these are, that, that, that along with our weakness, there are some inexpressible groanings present. Now, I contend along with others that this is us groaning, not the Holy Spirit. I believe this is us groaning because the Holy Spirit knows exactly what to pray for. He has no reason to groan, and he has no weakness at all. These groans come from a deep place. They come from being lost. They, they come from being confused. They, they come from being sometimes so physically compromised that you can't even get words out. Why is the Spirit's role in prayer so crucial? Why do we need the Holy Spirit to intercede for us in prayer? Verse 26 again, because we do not know what to pray for as we should. According to the, uh, the Apostle Paul, our prayer vocabulary is limited. Because of our human weakness, we don't fully know how and what to pray for. Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt so weak, so lost, so confused, so helpless that you couldn't even get the right words out? The reality is we are so often overwhelmed and outdone that we can't even formulate words in prayer. Maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just my struggle. Maybe y'all got it together. But there are times that I just say, Lord, help me and groan and sigh and shake my head. But here's God's grace. He says the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That Greek word helps, it literally means to lend a hand. The, the analogy is someone is picking up something heavy and someone comes on the other side and lifts it up and says, let me give you a hand. The imagery behind this word is, is assisting someone in a physical task or a project. The good news is the Holy Spirit helps. The Holy Spirit intercedes. The Holy Spirit intervenes and says, let me give you a hand. Let me, let me help you shoulder the load because you certainly can't do it on your own. Notice this, though. The Holy Spirit helps us, but that doesn't relieve us of our job. He doesn't say, I'll pray for you. You just sit right there. I got this. Yes, the Holy Spirit uh, brings the fire, but we have to chop down the wood and gather it. We desperately need the Holy Spirit's help, desperately need the Holy Spirit's intervention, but we actually have to initiate prayer to God. Again, the Holy Spirit comes to assist, but we have to be intentional about engaging our Father in prayer. 
So what is the Holy Spirit praying? What is the Holy Spirit praying? Verse 27, he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, I love this. This is, this is a glorious truth. The Holy Spirit helps. The Holy Spirit aids. The Holy Spirit moves us along, but he also intercedes for us. This is such a glorious truth. Did you realize this? Because of the finished work of Jesus, you now have two intercessors. You, you now have two intercessors. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 verse uh, 14. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness or confidence so we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because of the finished work of Jesus, you now have two intercessors. After his ascension to the Father, the Lord Jesus now stands as our high priest. He's the mediator between a, a unholy people. We... we we are in this uh, already but not yet position. We are holy because of the finished work of Jesus, but we still are working through the process of sanctification. So Jesus is our high priest. Jesus mediates for us. But not only is Jesus our high priest, Jesus actually gave himself up to be the offering, the lamb of God to redeem lost sinners. So now the Lord Jesus intercedes at the right hand of the Father, and we also have an internal intercessor, the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8. I love this quote from John Murray. The children of God have two divine intercessors. Christ is their intercessor in the court of heaven, while the Holy Spirit is the intercessor in the theater of their hearts. We have the Spirit of God. We have the Son of God. And as we pray, our prayers are aligned to the will of God. We have no reason not to pray. My brothers and sisters, I love that quote from Hebrews 4. He says, let us approach the throne boldly or with confidence. Why? Because we will receive mercy. We will receive grace. Because we have a high priest in Jesus. We have the Spirit of God working and directing our prayers to the Father. We have no re reason to, to fear. We have no reason to doubt. We have no reason to fret. God is helping us. God is aiding us. We, we can come to our Father whenever we need grace and mercy. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to pull yourself together because you have two intercessors. And he answers these prayers according to his divine will. This should be a, such an encouragement to us. Dr. John Piper says, you are not expected to know the secret will of God in every situation. There is one who knows the spirit of God. But we have to avail ourselves to prayer. We have, we have, we have the intercessor in heaven. We have the high priest in heaven. We have the, an internal intercessor directing our prayers to the will of God. We're called to just initiate. We're called to, to commune with our Father. But pastor, prayer is hard. Pastor, I don't have time. 
Pastor, I'm confused. Pastor, I, I, it, it seems like I don't get results. Here are a few practical things that could make prayer more effective. Practice prayer both as a habit and a spontaneous response. Practice prayer as a habit and a spontaneous response. I love Ephesians 6 verse 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer, every request. Stay alert with perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So prayer is something we do habitually, but it's also a spontaneous response. Secondly, utilize all types of prayer. Adoration, confession, petition, thanksgiving, meditation. These are all types of prayer that we can present to our Father in heaven. And again, the beautiful thing is he knows you don't know what to say. He knows you don't know what you're doing. Bring it to him. And the Holy Spirit will intercede on your behalf. Utilize all types of prayer. Higher? All right, cool. Next, be still, stop, and listen during prayer. Family, prayer is a dialogue, not a monologue. Prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is a conversation with your father, not just one person talking. We should ask the Spirit to search our hearts and be silent and let the Lord minister. Combine prayer with other spiritual disciplines like scripture reading, worship, fasting. And lastly, repent and confess your sin as the Spirit reveals. We have no reason not to pray. We have, we, we, it's like a cheat code. I remember back in the day when I played video games, way back in the day, uh, sometimes you would get a cheat code and you put it in and you would pretty much be guaranteed to win. It's like using some, some, of, my, uh, some of my 80s and 90s babies will get this. It's like using Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl. <laughs> No one? All right, cool. Uh, there was a player, one in the back, all right. Bo Jackson was like the greatest athlete of all time. And if you picked Bo Jackson and you gave him the ball in Tecmo Bowl, it was pretty much a guaranteed touchdown. We have an intercessor in heaven named Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit leading and directing our prayers. We have a cheat code. Paul continues in verse 28. Romans 8, 28. We know all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Along with John 3.16 and Psalm 23, this is one of the most uh, referenced and quoted verses in the entire Bible. I love this glorious promise from God, but notice the context. It is referring, uh, the context is referring to how the Holy Spirit works and ministers to us through prayer. Because the Spirit intercedes, because the Spirit helps, we know with confidence that all things will work together for our good. I love that phrase. We know, not we guess. We have a suspicion. We know. This is important because just a few verses, Paul said there's some things that we don't know. We don't know what to pray and we don't know the will of God. My brothers and sisters, there are a lot of things that we don't know in this life. There's a lot of uncertainty in this life. 
There are a lot of question marks. I think it's stuck in my beard, sorry. <laughs> we don't know what the future holds. We, we don't know our expiration date. And even as believers, we don't know all the time what the Lord is up to. But we, we know one thing for certain. <laughs> oh, my hand. All right, my bad. Uh, all right, yeah, that's much better. I, I'm not used to nice microphones where we're at. There are a lot of things we don't know. But Paul says we know one thing certainly. Because of the Spirit's working, because of the Spirit's ministry, we know that all things work together for our good. Paul is communicating that, that because we are the children of God, we are filled with the Spirit of God, and because the Spirit is helping, the Spirit is interceding, we know God's perfect will will be accomplished in our lives. The good news is that when we pray, the triune Godhead who knows all, sees all, begins to work out his perfect will in our lives. Now, this verse is often misunderstood. God does not promise every day will be great. God does not promise everything you ask for will come to pass. God does not promise comfort. A few verses ago, in Romans, uh, Romans 8, verse 17, he says, and if the children of God also heirs, and heirs of God co-heirs with Christ, indeed, if we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him, Romans 8, 23, know that, excuse me, not only know, uh, but we ourselves who, are, who have the spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. So the all things that we experience include the suffering of verse 17 and the internal groaning of verse 23. The suffering, the groaning, the expectation, all of those things also are part of what is working together for our good. Here in verse 28, the Lord is declaring that, that everything will work out for our ultimate good as he defines it in the end. I often say at my church that God is a divine recycler. God is a divine recycler that, that, that somehow, sovereignly, the Lord takes every piece of our lives, the broken pieces, the scraps, the hardship, the suffering, the good times, the mountaintops, the valleys. He takes all of it and works it out for our ultimate good. Paul is not saying that pain and suffering and loss and uncertainty, he's not saying that these things are good and that they are enjoyable in and of themselves. But rather, God has a way of perfectly orchestrating all the events of our lives, good, bad, and ugly, to work out his ultimate goal at the end. Again, notice what Paul doesn't say here. He doesn't say all things work for everyone. He, he doesn't say all things work together for the good of everyone. There's two major conditions. It says we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Friends, Paul is not offering some little pithy, cliche, superficial, optimistic phrase. 
the only, only those who love God, only those who are called according to his, his purpose experience this guaranteed goodness. So that raises this question. Who loves God? Or why do we love God? Why and how does a person love God? Because if you ask most run-of-the-mill people, everyone, yeah, I love God. I know drug dealers. I know people who are in other sketchy lines of work that, quote, love God. No Jesus, no God. But why do we love God? The answer is simple. We love him because he loved us first. He, we, we, we love him because he loved us first. First John chapter four. First John chapter four. Love consists of this. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John chapter four, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. My brothers and sisters, the reason we are even able to love God is because he first loved us and sent the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem us. This is the gospel in a nutshell. This, this is the gospel in a nutshell. When we were dead in our sins, God still loved us. When we were rebellious, when we were wandering, when we were wayward, God still loved us. When we lived in complete opposition to him, when we were his enemies, when we despised him, when we despised his truth, when we mocked him, God still loved us. Paul goes on to say that God is recycling, God is working things out for those who are called according to his purposes. What does that mean? What, what, what are the purposes of God? Put a pen in that. I'm going to answer that in a minute. Dr. John Stott says Romans 8, 28 is a pillow to which we rest our weary heads. Be encouraged, believer, no matter how things may look now, no matter what you are experiencing now, if you are in Christ, God is at work. You may not see it. You may not understand it. God is at work. God is working all things out for your ultimate good, for his glory, for his people. There is nothing outside of God's providential rule and reign. Dr. Tony Marita said that this does not, referring to Romans 8, 28, this does not mean that everything feels or seems good to the saint. Joseph did not enjoy being abused by his brothers, sold into slavery, so on. But later he would confess in a Romans 8, 28 way, you planned evil against me. But God planned it for good to bring uh, pres this present result, the survival of many people, referring to Genesis 50. Again, Scripture never promises that, that, that everything we experience will be pleasant. It does not say that we will never experience pain. Look no further than the Lord Jesus Christ. Frankly, it is not God's chief intention to make us happy, comfortable, but rather to fulfill his divine purpose. 
What is God working? What is his purposes? What, what, what is God ultimately after? I'm glad you asked. Verse 29, Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Brothers and sisters, that word for is very important. The word for that he begins verse 29 with uh, unlocks the promise of verse 28. The promise in verse 28 is that for those who love God, for those that are called according to his purpose, God is ultimately working it out for his good. That, that's the promise in verse uh, 28. But the for in verse 29 unlocks that promise. God gives assurance that this promise will come to pass. What is he saying? God will certainly work all things out for his ultimate good, for our ultimate goods. Why? Because those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Did you catch that? Because we were predestined to be shaped and molded into the image of the Lord Jesus. As we pray, the Lord is leading us into his divine will and our ultimate good. I believe verse 29 gives us God's ultimate aim for our lives. My brothers and sisters, this is what he's after. This is what the suffering is for. This is what the hardship is for. This is what the uncertainty for. This is what the, un, uh, the, the uncomfortable seasons of life are for. God is shaping and molding you to look more like the Lord Jesus. Here's what he's doing beginning at salvation and concluding in eternity. The triune God is incrementally making you more and more like Christ. The, the process, uh, uh, a.k.a. or also known as uh, sanctification, this process begins and it's slow and it's tedious and it's painful and it's incremental, but sooner or later you're going to notice I'm looking more like Jesus. I'm more patient. I'm, I'm resisting sin more. My, my desires and my affections are for the things of God. That's called sanctification. And it ultimately will be concluded when we are glorified at the end. More than absolutely any and everything, the Father desires us to look like Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Father called the Son redeemed, and the Spirit sanctifies. And the end result, Jesus will be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. To encapsulate Romans 8, we're led by the Spirit of God. That The Spirit confirms the adoption of a few verses up. It says, we cry out, Abba, Father. He says, I didn't give you a spirit of slavery, but I gave you a spirit of adoption. The Spirit confirms who we are. We put sin to death. We pray. We cry out to God, and we begin to look more like Jesus and less like ourselves. Called sanctification. Then verse 30, Paul lays out with many Theologians call the golden chain of salvation. The golden chain of salvation. 
those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. This golden chain of sanctification, predestination, or being predestined, being called, being justified, being glorified. This crystallizes what Jesus did through his death and resurrection. First Paul says God foreknew and predestined us. What does it mean? Well, what does it mean that we were predestined? John Murray said the foreknowledge of God is God's sovereign distinguishing love. God's foreknowledge is God's sovereign and distinguishing love. God foreknew, God predestined uh, a people to be uh, his own possession. First Peter 2, 9 says you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He says a people of God's own possession. It says you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you belong to him. And he did that in eternity's past. Ephesians 1, verse 4. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to God's good, the pleasure of his, the goodwill, the good pleasure of his will. That phrase predestined, it means that he decided, he ordained way ahead of time. You didn't, I didn't have to read, and I love Calvin, I love Luther, uh, but I, I didn't have to read them to believe in predestination. Because when God saved me, I wasn't looking for him. I was running in the opposite direction. I was headed to hell. I, I was blaspheming him. And he saved me from myself. I wasn't pursuing him. It had to be predestination because I wanted nothing to do with Jesus. He foreknew, he predestined a people to belong. And then he said, he called. The reformers refer to this as God's effectual call. Dr. John Stott says, Paul, Paul means by God's call that that is not just a general gospel invitation, but a divine summoning. He calls the spiritually dead to life. The reformers also refer to this, point to this, this, this is irresistible grace because those who he predestined to be adopted respond by faith to the gospel once the Lord calls them. Next, he justifies before the foundation, before you were a twinkle in your parents' eye, you belong to Christ. You belong to God. Then, then one day you heard the gospel, something that you may have heard a thousand times, but one day you responded by faith and then justified. The, the effectual call enables those who hear to believe. And once they believe, once they uh, respond by faith, they're justified. What does it mean to be justified? Westminster Catechism defined justification as an act of God's free grace wherein he pardons all our sins, accepts, accepts us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us and received by faith alone. 
the act of justification is God graciously saying not guilty we, we stood before a holy and righteous God covered in sin but because of the finished work of Jesus Jesus took our sin to the cross and now when the father sees me he doesn't see my sin when he sees you he sees you as righteous not because of your performance because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus Justification is God graciously deeming and declaring us as righteous and holy because of what Jesus did. Now in Christ, the Father no longer sees a failure. The Father no longer sees a disobedient and wayward son. He sees us as sons and daughters adopted into his family. Predestined, called, justified, and lastly, said he glorified his people again remember what I said a minute ago God's ultimate aim in your life is to make you look more like Jesus this is a process that began at salvation and sanctification is working but one day it will be complete it won't be complete this side of glory God's ultimate goal is to make us just like Christ and it will be fully realized when we are glorified John put it this way 1 John 3 and 2 dear friends we are God's children now today <laughs> not when you get it together not when you figure out how to stop doing A, A B and C but we are God's children now and, and when we we do not know what we will be it has not yet been revealed but we know that when he appears we will be like him because we will see him as he is. One day, I'm going to lay down this body of sin. Do you realize that? That one day you won't ever have to worry about temptation again. One day you will never have to worry about yielding to sin. One day you won't have any aches or pains. I love how he puts it in Revelation 20 says when he comes he's going to put death to death he's going to wipe away every tear I know it's hard to wrap your, your, your mind around it but one day you will be like Christ you have a resurrected body and no, and, and no sin nature the reality of this I'm concluding here the, rea the reality of who we are in Jesus should drive us to be people of prayer. Prayer should not be, prayer should not be viewed as laborious. Uh, prayer should not be viewed as something I have to do. Prayer is something you get to do. You get to commune with the Father. You have the Spirit of God living within you. You, you have an intercessor in heaven. The Holy Spirit takes those prayers and places them in the hands of Jesus. When you don't have the right words, when you just shake your head, when you get that diagnosis or when you hear about that loved one passing or, or when you are at the rock bottom and you can just, all you got is a groan. All you got is a Lord help me. The Spirit takes that and presents it to the intercessor.
and God will ultimately work it out for your good it should drive us to be people of prayer Father we we thank you that as Peter said in first Peter uh, in second Peter that you've given us everything you've given us everything for life and godliness Lord we literally lack nothing we have Jesus as our priest. We have the, the spirit of God. We, we've been called to you. We are your sons and daughters. You delight in our prayers. You, you delight when we come to your throne. You delight in us as sons and daughters because we are covered in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to see this reality. Help us to see who we are. Help us to see our need for you and help us to run to your throne. Help us to be people who rest at your feet. Help us to be people who pray and not panic. Help us to bring all, as Philippians 4, help us to bring all of our worries, all of our anxieties, help us to bring them to you. And you said that, uh, that you will give us a peace that passes all understanding. Lord, help this to be our reality. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.